Hello, and welcome to Mr. America, The Bearded Truth, covering political and social issues one liberty at a time, with entertaining insights of current events and important discussions on topics that affect us all, shining the torch of liberty and brightening the future by bringing libertarianism into our everyday life. And now, your host, the friendly neighborhood libertarian, Jason Lyon, Mr. America, The Bearded Truth, on Muddied Waters Media. Hello, everybody. Oh, my word, we're back. It's Friday. I apologize, everybody. I had a scheduling conflict earlier, and so weren't able to make it at 2 p.m. like we normally do. Um, but don't worry. The guest tonight was able to work with my my shitty uh, schedulingness, and so he's coming on. We're going to be talking tonight about some fantabulous conversations about communicating with people to be able to bring in unlikely allies, to be able to unite with one another and to push forward on initiatives, right? We see this on so many different issues. There are bipartisan issues. There are tripartisan issues. There are issues that span across the spectrum. And so how do we come into and engage in conversations where there are people that have different principles, different values, to bring them together to make a difference. Well, that's what we're going to be talking about tonight with my good friend, uh, Nate Banks. I'm so excited for that. And thank you guys again for for bearing with me as I made some mistakes today um, in the scheduling. So I'm excited to have him come on and talk with us. But before we dive into that tonight, um, we do have to do a little bit of housekeeping. So thank you, everybody, each and every one of you guys for being a part of this, for joining in, for whether you guys are seeing us on YouTube, on Facebook, Twitter, Twitch, Bloat, Odyssey, wherever, however you guys are seeing this live. Thank you guys so much. If you guys are checking this later on the podcast, of course, if you guys aren't, you can find it on all of your favorite podcast apps. Make sure you guys drop us those five-star reviews. Make sure you guys give us those support. And uh, we love you and appreciate each and every one of you guys for doing so. Um, oop, that's the wrong document. Um, while we are talking about that, go ahead and look see. That is it. All right, perfect. Uh, I want to give a big shout out and thank you to Matt Wright and Spike Cohen, of course, for continuing to give me a platform to come out here to have some amazing guests talk about some big ideas um, and how we can take those big ideas and actually move it into activism. So thank you uh, to them. Thank you to Brian Scott Lambrick and uh, Jenny for the intro that I use each and every time here to introduce myself mr murica the bearded truth here on muddy waters media thank you guys for that um want to say um you know thank you to everyone who has already gone over to anchor.fm slash muddied waters slash subscribe and been a part of the muddied crew helping out with just a couple lattes a month worth of donations to help make this uh make our dreams more of a reality uh thank you to everyone if you guys haven't already the exclusive content that we're going to be pumping out, the stuff that is coming down the pipeline, and I'm sure that you guys are going to find out about this here soon, it's going to be well worth the couple dollars a month in order to be a part of this group. So head on over to anchor.fm slash muddiedwaters slash subscribe. Get a part of it now and help out. It's going to be well worth it. I promise you that. I want to give a big shout out and thank you to Kelsey Lion Designs. If you guys are in business, if you guys are engaged in events, if you guys are looking to step those games up, 
you guys got to head on over to KelseyLionDesigns.com. She's going to hook you up. She is an incredible graphic designer. Has worked on campaigns such as Natalie Bruno, Spike Cohen, Joe Jorgensen, um, uh, Ashley Shade. Across the spectrum of libertarianism, she's been out there helping. She's helped out um, other partisan races. She has helped out with businesses. She is blowing up in the realtor industry right now. Um, if you guys reach out to KelseyLionDesigns.com, use the code MUDDIEDWATERS, she's going to hook you up with a nice discount, and I guarantee you, you're not going to regret that one bit. Head on over to Nug of Knowledge. If you're looking for some knowledge, you're looking for some nugs, you're looking for some love, be a part of the community. Head on over to NugOfKnowledge.com. Use the code BEARDEDTRUTH. You're going to get 10% off. They can't legally tell you what these uh, what these green substances are or how they will affect you, but I promise you, you'll be feeling a little bit better about yourself at that time, and you're not going to regret those decisions. So head on over to nugofknowledge.com. Use the code BEARDEDTRUTH. You're not going to regret it. But now, without further ado, thank you guys all for bearing with me through that. I have an incredible guest tonight. His name is Nate Banks. We're going to be talking, of course, about being able to connect with people, being able to communicate with people despite principal differences, despite value differences, to be able to bring them into the fold and push together in order to change um, what it is we're facing when it comes to legislative action or whether it, or even to change the culture itself. And so if you guys will, of course, welcome with me, Mr. Nate Banks. How's it going tonight? Great, man. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. And uh, thank you for, for bearing with me. I know I had some, some scheduling issues today. So thank you for, for sticking it out late night. I know you're over there. Uh, it's not so deep into the night, but thank you so much for, for bearing with me on that. Um, you and I, we met back in D.C. in the, for lack of a better term, the shithole of the country, if you will. Um, <laughs> and we kind of hit it off real easy. Um we never we never had too much of a of, of a value difference just based on where we came from. Um, you were a veteran. You are a libertarian through and through. You believe in small, limited government and and structuring it for the good of the people. Um, but even even in the first couple of conversations that we've had with other people, it became clear to me that you were a, an expert on being able to to work with anyone. To make differences and um you know there's a couple of good conversations of course i don't know if we need to share those <laughs> but i i want to i want to start off with this conversation of course of what brought you to liberty what brought you to the libertarian movement well i was raised a in a reagan conservative household right that was he was the gold standard ronnie could do no wrong um i was I was very naive. I didn't really look very deep into policy. I didn't really understand it. Just whatever I heard on television, that was that was basically what the way it was. And then, you know, I had my dad is a, a very positive influence in my life. And and uh, you know, he used to it's kind of funny, his his transformation is a lot different than mine. He he went from being, I call him a Che Guevara worshiping communist because he used to have a poster of Che on his wall to, uh, <laughs> to in, in his words, being farther right than Jesse Helms. So, oh, wow. wow. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> so I grew up in that environment and it was, it, that was my starting point. 
I, I joined the, the Navy in 1999, um, spent almost eight years on active duty and was still just as terrible a conservative as there was. I was trash when it came to messaging. Um, I had people, you know, unfriending me on social media because of the way I engaged with them. It took a long time and it, it was through some of my work experience, you know, being in the military, either while you're on active duty or shortly thereafter seems to be one of the pipe, fastest pipelines toward liberty. Yes. Um, it wasn't enough for me. I worked in law enforcement shortly after that, um, worked in the oil and gas industry, which is full of, you know, ultra right wing mega types and It, it wasn't even enough then, right? Working in law enforcement, I was a detention officer in a county jail. And I mean, if you ask me now, you couldn't beat me into taking that job again. But <clears throat> it, it was just a long, gradual process. What really did it for me was was some hindsight, looking back at some of the, the candidates that I'd supported and defended on the GOP ticket, you know, Oh well, I'll vote for this guy because they most closely represent me. But I'm gonna I'm gonna stick to it and, and vote for this guy if he wins, just because I have to because uh, we can't have the other team win. Yeah, that good old partisan back, team game. Yeah, looking back, you know George H W Bush wasn't all that far removed from Bob Dole, who wasn't all that far removed from John McCain, or George W Bush or Mitt Romney, like. I, I started looking at these guys and doing closer research on them and discovered that they were all basically representing the same things. There's not that much separation between the two main parties, uh, you know, the two corporate parties. The way I look at it now is uh, there's just one team. There's the big government team. Yeah. One of them plays offense, the other one plays defense, and then they switch. And <laughs> That's a great way to phrase that. It's <laughs> it's incredibly accurate. So, uh, when Gary Johnson ran, uh, by the way, I'm I'm in Albuquerque. I'm I'm behind the steel wall in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Um, Gary Johnson was a very successful governor in the state of New Mexico. He may not have been everybody's cup of tea when it came to libertarian presidential candidates, but he governed this state as a Republican, but in a very libertarian ideologically, uh, ideological fashion. He, he left the state <clears throat> with a surplus. He cut spending. He actually cut the size of government. He improved the roads while cutting the budget, um, lowered taxes. Uh, he used to, he had the nickname of governor. No, because he vetoed more legislation in the state in, in his term as governor than anyone pre or prior to him. Yeah. Um, I remember watching the, the GOP presidential debates and he only had basically one line in all the debates that he showed up in, which was like two or three, not very many. And he made the comment that his neighbor's dog had created more shovel ready jobs than the program that was passed by Barack Obama at the time. I can't even remember what it was called. It was, but they they were always talking about all the shovel ready jobs that were going to be created. He became the most Googled uh, person that day on Google. 
and I started looking into him a little bit more deeply myself. I didn't live here in the state whenever he was the governor. Mm -hmm. um, I was that was when I was on active duty, and they. Um, I started looking into the Libertarian Party because shortly after that, he decided to run as Libertarian Party candidate and won the nomination. And that was the first time I broke away from the, the GOP uh, platform and, and voted for somebody besides their candidate. Wow. Because he most closely represented me. And I, I believe that was in 2012. And in 2016 when he was running again uh a friend of mine well he's a friend now he at the time he was he was a stranger he just reached out to my wife um and asked if she was interested in helping to uh with a slate to take over the new mexico libertarian party we were living up in the northwest corner of the state. It's a little town called Farmington. Mm -hmm. So we were making trips to, to Santa Fe, to Albuquerque. They're, you know, three-hour trips each each time and each way. Making these trips to show up at campaign events. And uh, worked on the Johnson campaign as volunteers. Showed up and when he did his Fit to be Prez uh, event and just started getting more and more closely aligned. I was still a registered Republican. Uh, yeah. I was still registered to vote in the state of Colorado, my, my home of record. And um, it wasn't until after that slate that I decided to, to switch my registration and I registered Libertarian. Uh, it was a successful bid, but the the LP here in New Mexico at the time, they, they had no interest in running candidates or supporting candidates. They, they actively worked against uh, some of the candidates for, for national offices. And that was when my friend reached out and well, he, he started showing up to their meetings and he was like, all right, so what's the plan? What are we going to do? Who are we supporting? Who's running for what? Yeah. He was excited. And they were like, Oh, we don't do that. They just wanted to be, you know, a coffee club where they sat and, yeah it's about gun control and you know talked about taxes and how wrong they are and they it was like social media in person it's a right? it's a social club and, and we've seen yeah. that in so many different states and yeah and no it's it, why 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 waste people's time with that exactly why waste your own time <laughs> yeah. you don't you don't have to hold those titles to do the same thing that you were doing so it was a successful bid uh, every single office was was uh, voted. A new new member was voted into each office, and that was when I, I really started getting heavily involved in the libertarian. I like it. Um, now I noticed when you were talking about this, right? You first started off with talking about when you were a Republican, you know, before you were in the military, and when you were in the military, you were very. Uh, you had a lot of conflicts, people deleting you on Facebook, social media, uh, what have you. Um, clearly, you weren't converting them. And then when you talked about your own conversions, it sounded like people came to you, showed you a better way, showed you better ideas, put, put truth to practice or theory to practice, and 
I think that that's a, a really good star, strong foundation of, of one of those things of why I like I was like this Nate guy he's he's got it you know he's got the haircut he's got he's got a bigger beard than me I I won't I won't tell you who's got the the better beard but um <laughs> but um but it, it it was one of those things that it's true for all of us or for a lot of us that just showing up being better not being better at arguments not being better at fighting not being better about beating each other with our ideas but just coming there and allowing for ideas to flourish is 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 incredible so i'm glad that you went through that process um thank you matt right um all beard hashtag all beards live or all beards matter um you've got some length it's fine <laughs> um but but i think that's a great starting point and so you know of course coming at this thing with not fighting people is, is a first start but I want to know, like, what you've experienced as well. Since joining in with libertarianism, I've seen you be an influence in your communities. You work right now in a capacity where you're working with people across the spectrum. Um, you may have some left people. You may have some right people. You may have some libertarians. But you're able to work with them. And so I, what's the mindset there that has helped you push past areas where you may have disagree to find those agreements? Well. To understand that, I, I feel like I owe it to everybody to explain a little bit more, a little little deeper in, into my past. Yeah. Uh, when it came to engaging with people on social media, I used to believe, like a lot of people do, that that was that's what what it meant to to move the ball forward, right? To to swing the pendulum back in the other direction was to engage with people on social media, and I did that in the most awful, disrespectful ways possible. I truly believed for a long time that winning an argument on Facebook meant getting blocked, right? So I, I just kept the pressure on until they finally blocked me. And then I was like, all right, I win. Yeah. It wasn't until I I started the job that I'm in now with the organization I'm with that I started looking at, at things like humility and uh, respect and integrity and realizing that I wasn't displaying very many of those those principles that I find value in it and <clears throat> it, it was a slow process and it uh it took you know I had some some conversations with supervisors and things like that about my engagement on social media and even that wasn't really enough uh, it, it pointed me in the right direction but it ultimately it fell on me right mm-hmm. uh, I through in you know introspection and and learning as I, as I moved along, realizing that engaging with people and being disrespectful, you know, that wasn't really doing anything for our movement. It wasn't doing anything uh, to even stem the tide of, of tyranny that, that we're seeing. If anything, it was, it was counterproductive. It was moving people farther away from it. And that's when it really changed the way I engage with people. So what was the question again so i can no so so i i that was a perfect lead up to it and it was just like what is that mindset and you know you spoke about humility and about respect and about integrity and and so how do you go about um 
you know, some of the specific things that you may have to remind yourself as you've made that conversion, as you changed uh, the way that you're you're uh, working within your communications. How do you have respect for people? How do you show humility? How do you um, how do you work through that process? What's the mindset there um, so that you can be successful in communicating? I guess like, um, so, so for me, when I think about that, um, the respect thing, I think that this is one of the, one of the things that I saw like the most impactful is when I'm communicating with people is be able to talk with them to share their values. So, you know, you and I have both worked on healthcare issues more times than we can count probably. Um, and so it's like, when somebody says, you know, you just want to break the healthcare system, that's not that's not that respect. It's like you want to fix the healthcare system. I want to fix the healthcare system. Now let's see where we can find that. But go ahead. So what I did, I started looking for common ground with people. To your point, right? We, I, I work uh, on a lot of veterans' issues, and one of the ones that I work on most specifically is is VA healthcare reform and VA accountability. There's a lot of people on the other side of this movement that think that what I'm trying to do is just completely privatize the VA and uh, put everybody out of work. And it's that's not really what I'm about. What what we want is if the VA is going to be there, that it should be a great option for veterans when they choose, if they choose to go there for their health care. And at the same time, there's a lot of veterans that live really far away from VA facilities. And it, it really puts them out to, to have to drive three hours, four hours, six hours in order to get to a VA hospital. Like Alaska is the, the absolute worst example or Hawaii because there's no VA hospitals in either of those states. So they have to drive or, or take a ferry or a boat or, you know, if you're coming from Alaska, you, you've got to go to Seattle in order to get healthcare from a VA facility. Mm-hmm. If you're coming from Hawaii, you have to fly into San Diego or Los Angeles, right? And that's not serving those veterans. You know, there's a lot of upfront costs for those vets to, to travel to, to get their healthcare at those places. So trying to to combat lies or you know misunderstandings that people have you have to find common ground with them because if you just come immediately come at them and attack them back they're going to put their defenses up they're going to tune you out and they're not going to talk to you so instead of instead of being uh instead of responding with terrible tones and language finding common ground and, and understanding that either they're misinformed or they misunderstand something and, or they just don't see it the same way you do, you know, their truth to them. Some people are are comfortable with it. You know, they, they're okay with certain, a certain level of government uh, or a certain level of government involvement in their lives. It's not really who I am. Um, But trying to find places where, where we have agreement, where there's too much government involvement or not the right type of, of yeah. engagement. And and I think, you know, when you were talking about the the VA healthcare, 
right? This is one of those things where when you're like, I want to be able to provide healthcare services to the veteran community. And you say, you know, for somebody who's out there, as you pointed out, Alaska or Hawaii is like, we want to give them an opportunity, even if that means they have, they can go to a private healthcare. I, your concern is with the veteran and finding that to also be the same as somebody who says, you know, I just want to fix the VA healthcare. It's like, we both we clearly both value veterans and their healthcare. We have a difference on that. And so being able to, you know, to reflect on that, to be able to, to share that common ground of, we care about the veterans. Let's actually have a conversation about how this can work out instead of the mudslinging, the cuck, the, 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 the conservative or the, uh, cuckservative and the, the lip tart and all those it's, it, these are all, all things out there. I do want to say, because this comment, uh, really is, is important to me in some way. Um, Sheila Foster, uh, you know, I, I love your son. I love what your son did, but Sheila Foster, uh, mother of, of Gary Foster says she may want to talk to you, um, Nate Banks, because she's writing a book about unity in this country. Um, sure. so, so I will miss, uh, Mrs. Foster. I will definitely reach out to you. I'll give you uh, Nate's contact if he's cool with that. And, uh, yeah. perfect. I'll reach out to you. I'll get you that. Um, so you can have that conversation. Um, but, but you know, that, that reshaping of how we, into things right and i think that this is one of the biggest things that libertarians face we have the best ideas we have the historical understanding we have the context of how it works we understand economics we don't just say just print out all the money we want to and just pay all the things we we understand how things are interconnected to one another on on many of these topics and we go into these conversations and we want to force it into other people. And we say, you just got to accept what we're saying because we're smarter than you. <laughs> we have the best ideas, but we are the absolute worst messengers on the planet. Yes. And that's why I'm having you on. That's why I had a couple weeks ago, I had um, Stephen uh, or Steve Dosbach on to talk about this. I've had this conversation a couple times with with many great guests, and every one of them fully qualified to to give you the full hour long TED talk on these things, um, because this is one of the most important things about liberty. This is one of the most things about actually setting people free in our lifetimes. And um, but so so we're getting into these conversations with people. We've connected with them on a value system. We found those common grounds. Now how is there a methodology that you have in order to expand, to find more common ground with somebody? Um, talk me through some of that process. Well, everyone that I've engaged with, to my knowledge, is a human being, right? And we all have uh, feelings, emotions. Some of us are better about, you know, um, ignoring them, shoving them down, or, you know, some, some of us wear them on our shirt sleeves. but we're all humans. We all deserve respect. So it, it's one of those things. You should give what you expect to get from people. If you want to be insulted, insult people. If you want respect from people, respect them. You may not agree with them. Giving them respect doesn't mean that you agree with them or that you're, they've changed your mind or anything like that. It's, it's about 
it, it's just it's about that just giving them respect you know the respect that they deserve as a fellow human being and it, i i used to think that um you know, like I said, the insults were, were great. I was going to change people's minds by, by hurling insults at them, but it, it reminded me of uh, where you and I uh, first started talking about me, me coming on with you. <clears throat> we were having a conversation with a gentleman on Facebook, and I simply stated that you'll, you'll convert more people your way by being respectful than you will by hurling insults at them. And I can't remember his name, but this gentleman just doubled down and tripled down. And, you know, every single time he's like, no, this is the hill I'm going to die on. I will continue to insult people because I, because that's the way that I was converted. Somebody else told me that I was a, a retard or, you know, a dipshit or whatever. And, and that I was a warmonger and neocon and whatever whatever it was that, that finally triggered him and, and got him to start looking at himself. Um, that's a rare breed. There's not very many yeah. people on the planet that, that are going to respond well to that type of engagement. And I feel like I, I stayed pretty respectful the whole time. I was, no matter how frustrating it got, you know, how, or, or anything like that. It was, I tried to maintain, um, a level of respect for him because I understand his position that that's where that's where he was converted was from that that position but yeah it may work occasionally but I think that you should at least be willing to uh accept that other people won't won't respond that way and that's all I was trying to ask get him to understand and, and asking him about was don't, don't you think that there might be some people that aren't going to respond well to being insulted? Like, honestly, if, if that was a, a winning tactic or a winning strategy, everybody on Facebook would have been converted a long time ago. And I think when, when he was talking, um, he was talking about this was his friend that was insulting him. So there was yeah. already, uh, there was already a level of respect of camaraderie. There was already a level of comfort there. These aren't yes. things that most people just automatically have because they got engaged with somebody. So, you know, don't take, you know, for anyone in the audience, don't take this as a playbook of one person made this conversion because his friend did. So now I could just do this with my Facebook friends, et cetera, et cetera. And I think that this brings up another really important point of when you have text, right? We have comments coming in and, and I appreciate each and every one of your guys' comments, but I can read your comments 17 different ways because it's just merely words on a line. There's no, there's no inflection. There's no tone of voice behind it. I have to assume the best, the worst, or whatever I'm assuming at that time. So maybe, just maybe, picking up the phone, maybe, just maybe, grabbing a cup of coffee are ways that we can actually engage with somebody in a positive, meaningful way. Make that connection with somebody before you try to plant the seeds of liberty or try to push them off the cliff to liberty. For sure remove some of that distance right uh the the last two years two and a half years uh as as the government responded to the pandemic some of the worst tyrannies were were uh displayed by my very own governor here in this state when even california was 
you know, repealing certain mandates and things like that. Mine was just like that dude that I was engaging with. She doubled down on it, no matter how bad the idea was. And I think uh, losing that human connection, a lot of people lost some nuance on, on how to engage with people, how to, how to talk to a, a person like a person. Um, it, it's already bad, you know, engaging with people through social media. But when that's the only form of communication, the only form that you have to get together with, with your friends or family, um, it, it still leaves that same distance between you that, that, uh, that we had to deal with uh, throughout, throughout the, the response to the pandemic. And we're pack animals, right? We're social creatures. We, we crave being around like-minded people. And whenever you remove that, that personal touch, being you know, across the table from each other or sitting at a park and you know, enjoying a cup of coffee or grabbing a beer, uh, it removes a lot of the humanity from it, right? It's like you said, it's just a line on a, it's, it's letters on a line, words on a line. There's no way to, to sure. read sarcasm or anger. Well, I guess if they're typing in all caps, you can read anger. But <laughs> they might also be a boomer, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> so. Start for the boomers. <laughs> yeah. It, I don't know. It's just really important. I think to, to try to find that common ground with people and, uh, build build on that foundation where you agree and yeah. move forward from there and understand and realize that people don't have to agree with you 100 percent on 100 percent of the time on 100 percent of the issues there's some there's been some times where i agreed with somebody on one issue and everything else we were you know we we're rams button heads at each other and but i'll still I'll still work with that one person on that one issue yes. to get to move move progress in that direction. And on that, I, I had an activist out here that when I was working in on healthcare reform, yeah, I couldn't believe it. They were they voted for Bernie Sanders. They supported universal healthcare for all. They supported you know um, universal basic income. They were just down the line. There were things that just staunchly stood against my values and my principles. But yeah. I sat sat down one day and and we were having coffee, and I said, "Hey, what do you know about the healthcare system as it stands?" And they were like, "Well, it's broken. It's expensive. It doesn't work for people. It shouldn't. It shouldn't bankrupt people." I said, "You're absolutely right." I, I'm 100% agreement with you. He's like, so you believe in universal healthcare? And I was like, no, not quite. Uh, and you know, I brought up certificate of need laws, and right. And because we were in this conversation where we had that common ground established, I said, what are your thoughts on certificate of need laws? When he didn't know, I informed him. I said, here's some articles. Here's some some articles from the left side. Here's some articles from the right side. Want you to be informed on this. But I want to I want to talk about it. I want to you know engage with you on this. And from that moment on, they respected me. They 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 felt like I had their concerns, their values in mind, and we were able to work forward on on helping change that. This is, you know, putting that that theory of what we're talking about into practice. This is how we can make that happen. Yeah. Completely unlikely ally. You see us out there. 
he's in a Democrat rally. I'm at a, in a Liberty rally. You know, we're, our camps don't touch. But when it comes to these issues, they become so important because they're so valued, right? And, and um, you know, when people talk about healthcare, when people talk about education, when people talk about uh, it, just general infrastructure, these things are so important that we can find common ground. It's just a matter of how we approach those. And and I, I know that you've done this. I know that, you know, everybody who's kind of worked in our field, that when we find those common grounds, we're, we're throwing seeds off of the common ground, planting the seeds of liberty and seeing it how we can, we can take this one topic where we value each other. And how we can grow that and how we can get more fertile ground for more growth, for more common ground and everything else. Um, I, I want to go ahead. Oh, speaking of engaging with people on social media or at the grocery store or wherever you might be. There's a good chance that you're not going to change the mind of the person that you're speaking to, especially with one conversation. But there's a lot of people that are observing these conversations and the way that we interact with each other. And if you've got one person that's doubling down and just trying to be the biggest, biggest jerk there is, and then you've got yourself who's being respectful and putting out good ideas and doing it in a classy way, the people that are observing that conversation and that are looking at you from the outside, those are the people that, whose hearts and minds you're going to change. Yes, and that that is such an important note because what we have seen in culture and and I was listening who was I listening to um somebody was talking about how so oh it, this was on the um the Patrick Bed David show if you haven't seen that they just had on Spike Cohen um Larry Sharp and Dave Smith it was an incredible 3 hours um absolutely invigorating but but spike was talking about this or the three of the the panelists were talking about it and when it comes to the socialists they have been able to really grab a hold of of the culture in a way to where they're able to throw out these quick little slogans they don't mean anything in, in the 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 understanding point but they're able to grab on and latch onto the people's heartstrings and so yeah. when you are confronting this and and here's where it's just leaping off of that conversation when you confront this you can't be the deranged one you can't be the one that's upset you can't be the one shouting them down saying this isn't how it works you have to meet that that compassion that empathy that they're showing in their rhetoric and you have to beat that you have to be able to say i care about healthcare too i care about this too and when you when you find that common ground with somebody that you know wildly disagrees but people see that you were able to to compete against that. Now you have an actual competing of ideas for the audience that's viewing it. You may not yeah. plant seeds with them, but you may be planting seeds for the people viewing it. And that's in, it's incredibly important that you brought that point up. Absolutely. Well, what show was that on? Uh, that was on uh, PBD, um, Patrick Bed David. Um, I can drop a YouTube link in the comment section as well. Um, for anyone watching it, if you guys didn't see this, the three of them did an incredible time of breaking down the libertarian philosophy and talking about it in a way of not just in theory, but also in the practicality of how to move forward. And um, it, this is also is one of those things. Um, this is also one of those things that's important with communication. I would love to to hear your thoughts on on the uh, applicability of it, but. 
when we talk about theory, when we talk about ideas, the way that you can communicate things for people to latch onto it is to talk about where you are, where you want to go in a tangible, realistic path to get there. Um, yeah. Those three things are important, but, but I'll, I'll let you take that away. Sure. Um, it's, it's really difficult. It's really difficult to have these conversations and to cover all of that in, in one conversation. Honestly, uh, I think that it, it's important to to understand that that it's not likely going to be done in one conversation. Um, you have to think of it as a marathon instead of a sprint. Yeah. If you think about it, the the socialist movement in this country, you know, likely started mid to late eighteen hundreds, and you know, with the 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 European revolutionaries, you know. Uh, migrating this way and and influencing um, leaders in this country, uh, <laughs> including Abraham Lincoln. You know, he was he frequently read uh, columns written by Karl Marx. You know, and he was a big fan uh, of mm-hmm. him. Um, but it didn't happen overnight, right? They it took decades or over a century for them to really, really uh, erode everything to the point that we're, we're in it today. So understanding that uh, just not even turning the ship around and going in the, the other direction, but slowing it down, um, it, it's going to take time and it's going to take a lot of reasoned, respectful conversations, yes. finding that common ground, planting those seeds. And to your point, um, take a, a policy issue from somebody that they respect and that they like and don't be insulting about it, but just tell them why, why it is that you think that that's damaging to Liberty instead of, uh, you know, instead of a win, like they think it is one, one of the biggest issues uh, that I engage with my conservative friends with is on qualified immunity. And <clears throat> and qualified immunity reform. Uh, here in the state of New Mexico, we were successful. We passed landmark legislation and you know it, it got amended up and, and marked up pretty badly going through the legislative process, through, through all the committee hearings. But it's still, even as, as bad as it is and the exemptions that they made in it, it's still far better than where we were before that bill was passed and signed into law. Mm-hmm. I would have preferred that it had included judges and that they weren't exempted, but I'm not going to just throw the whole thing away and say, well, that's not good enough. It's a great starting point. So with my, Oh, go ahead. Before, before we get too far into this, um, because it's been a long while since I talked about qualified immunity, um, with a guest out here on it. Could you give us a quick synopsis? What is qualified immunity? Um, how does it work? So an example, I'm driving down the road and a police officer pulls me over and uh, I get out of the vehicle. Somehow my, my rights, my were somehow my rights were violated. And it's an, a case that has never been seen before, right? They don't have any precedent on it. So it automatically gets thrown out and you don't get your day in court. You can't sue the, the police officer. You can't sue the police department. You can't sue the jail that they locked you up in. Uh, you can't sue the judge that 
that threw your case out, that's what qualified immunity reform, or that's what qualified immunity is. They are, they, they have qualified immunity because they've never seen it before. So it automatically gets thrown out and the, the problems just continue. Yeah. And, and, and for the audience, so there are qualified immunity cases, cases that were thrown out um, where it, it, the semantical differences in some of these cases where uh, I believe that there was one where the precedent was a man sitting on the ground, handcuffed with his hands behind his back, handcuffed, sitting on the ground, legs flat out in front of him and uh, a canine um, was biting him. And so he wanted to press charges because his he was already detained, but then he was aggressed by the dog. Well, there's a second case that came later. So that was the precedent. So if there was another case like that, they you wouldn't have had qualified immunity because there's a precedent there saying that this would have been been wrong. The next case, the person was laying on the ground flat and had their hands handcuffed behind their back and was already detained and attacked by a canine unit. Qualified immunity because of the semantical differences between sitting up and laying down was enough in order to provide protections for uh, the officers and everyone involved. Right. Uh, it's it's like I work on foreign policy a lot, too. And, and they're, one of the jokes that I love is um, and it's terrible, but it's not a war crime the first time. Oh, <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah. That's the same thing that you're talking about with qualified immunity. It's it's not it, it it's not illegal or a rights violation the first time it's brought up. It's just because of that one little tweak, that one little difference. Yeah. So so anyway, so continuing on, so you guys have gotten some reform coming through. Um got butchered up a little bit, then covered the judges, and then I I stopped you there. Right. So, uh, the organization I work for, they, they actually partnered with the, uh, American civil liberties union who opposes in, in this state, they oppose a lot of what we do most of the time. And through sheer determination, one of my good friends just continued to message and reach out and contact the one of the leaders of the, the ACLU here in, in Albuquerque. And finally they met for coffee and they talked about this one issue. And it's something that they were passionate about too. They had to understand it, the, the way the state legislature is made up here, there's Democrat supermajorities in both chambers and a Democrat governor. So to, in order to, to move something like that forward, there was relationships that needed to be built with a lot of elected officials, a lot of state senators, a lot of uh, state house reps. And we didn't have those, we didn't have great relationships with, with the right people, with enough people, but they did, right? So leaning on, on their relationships that they have uh, along with, the the policy expertise that we had um, and the grassroots capabilities that we have uh, we were able to drive the change that we needed on that one issue and Mm -hmm. now instead of you know normally i tell people just work on that one issue and go back to hating each other 
No, instead, we're looking for more areas that we can work on 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 reform. And and to that point, so it, this is one of the the fantastic things that I got to experience here in South Carolina. We were pushing on a civil asset forfeiture, so another criminal justice reform bill. Um, and so I went and spoke at the Republican, um, the GOP meeting. I went and spoke at the DNC meeting, and I even spoke at the NAACP meeting, and got endorsed and supported by all of them across the board and and so you can take these things and and working with organizations is great when you have when you're doing coalition building but then on top of that from there i had connections from people in the grassroots of their organizations and finding things where i can work with them on and then using that in order to um to expand out my connections to my network. So I knew people that were driven by criminal justice reform. I knew people that were driven by education reform, healthcare reform, all these things. And you can use those things in order to, you know, I, I think that the term that we like to use was like a super connector where you had this, this Rolodex of connections for different things. You can point and, and work with so many different people through that effort, you know, the ACLU is one that a lot of people, I'm glad that you brought that one up specifically. A lot of people look at the ACLU and they see how terrible they are on many issues and they, they, they write them off and they say, don't talk to them, don't associate with them. But you guys found a way to find that common ground. And because of that, you guys revolutionized the way that New Mexico looks at qualified immunity. I think that that's incredible. Um, yeah. I want to give you a, Last couple of minutes, I, any big stories, any big thoughts, any big overview things, last minute tidbits, where we can find your next uh, next events or, or anything that you're doing, plug yourself. The floor is yours. Take it away, my man. So I, I just wanted to bring up one more example before we, we say, you know, see you later. Um, working on foreign policy, we we were working on ending the war in Afghanistan, bringing all of the troops home. We partnered with another organization called Boat Bets. And they, they're a veteran organization, but they represent the other side of the spectrum. You know, they're very, very progressive, very socialist leaning um, veteran organization, but they, they agreed with us on this one issue again. You know, we, we've opposed each other like, you know, the, the sun rises in the morning. And if we would have said the sun rose, they would have argued and said no, you know, or, or whatever the case may be. The sky is blue. No, it's not. Um, but on this one issue, we, we joined forces and we gathered together and we went and lobbied together in D.C. Uh, I think I, I had something like 30, more than 30 meetings in, in this, this little time period. It was three days, I think. Oh, wow. And lobbying with vote beds members right next to me in the same offices uh talking to uh i think it was lee from los angeles california one of the one of the reps from the la area in california and then you know going and having a conversation with uh kirsten cinema in arizona and then scott tipton who used to be the the rep where i grew up in in colorado and you know he's very conservative Kirsten Cinema is very moderate. Lee is very progressive. So just hitting the spectrum with these unlikely allies, uniting on this one issue and, and getting a win, right? We're, we've ended the war in Afghanistan. Um, the withdrawal was a debacle. 
Yeah. We didn't have anything to do with that. Uh, the previous 20 years was, an, in a lot of ways, an even greater debacle. Um, but I lost, I, I lost activists in my, my own community over that relationship with both vets, you know, because of certain people that, that funded that organization. And I just, it, it blows my mind that people are willing to throw away a win over something as petty as, as that. Find the people with, that, yeah. Yeah. Find, find organizations that are fighting on thing, fighting for things that you're passionate about and make the change, man, be it, do it, live it. Yeah, absolutely. I think that that's, that's an incredible um, thing to, to end on. Stop worrying about who you're uniting with, unite with people, make a difference, live it out. I, I think that that's beautiful. Um, I want to, I want to thank you so much for coming on tonight, Nate. Thank you for working with me on my scheduling. I apologize again. I love you. I appreciate you so much. Um, we'll get you back on here soon. If you're cool with that. Absolutely. I, I love media. I love being on, on the air any way I can. Perfect. All right. I will see you in a couple minutes. All right. All right, bro. All right. What a, what a conversation that was. I mean, you, you, Nate Banks is one of those guys when I met him three, four years ago, you could tell he was a special guy. He was an incredibly special guy. And so, uh, I've loved working with him. I've loved seeing his work. I've loved seeing what he's doing to change his communities as well as, you know, outside of this nation as well on the foreign policy. Um, so he's got a wealth of knowledge there tonight, the conversation just covering a wide spectrum of, of how we can engage from a personal point of how we can share our heart, share our values with people, link up, connect with one another, break down the defenses and be able to plant seeds. I think that this was an, an incredibly important conversation. I loved every second of it. I hope you guys enjoyed it as well. Um, but we're coming up at the end of, of the muddied week. Which means that next week you guys got to come back. So next Wednesday night, 8 p.m. Eastern-ish. Make sure you guys are tuning in back here. Muddied Waters of Freedom, Spike Cohen, Matt Wright. It's going to be one hell of a show. You know it will be. So make sure you guys are tuning in for that Thursday night. Matt Wright is coming back with the writer's block. You're not going to want to miss that. And Friday, 2 p.m. Eastern, I have the one, the only Shane Hazel running for governor of Georgia coming on and we're going to be talking a little bit about deregulation what does it mean how does it work how has it been vilified and how does it actually improve your life your and your accessibility and of course as in a time of inflation how it actually drops the prices for you so i'm excited for that conversation next week is going to be an incredible week you're not going to want to miss this wednesday thursday friday here on muddy waters media thank you guys so much I've been incredibly honored to have you guys all here with me. I love Nate Banks and having him on tonight. But you guys be well. I'll see you guys soon. See you guys next week. Be good. Be well. See you soon.